Uh, tonight we're going to be in First uh, Samuel 20 as we're going through the life of David. First Samuel 20. First Samuel 20. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word, and I ask God that you would speak to us, especially with this idea of the rock that shows the way. Lord, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by you. But Lord, often in our life, we look to so many things to direct us. We lean on so many things other than you. And the one thing that we just struggle with in life is when you remove all of the horizontal crutches so that we can only look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, those seasons where you remove all of those areas that we have become so, so accustomed to, and it almost seems as though we've been abandoned, but in reality, we've been purified. And so, God, I pray tonight that as we take a look at this passage, that our hearts would be prepared for the season that you have in store for us, as there will be challenges for all of us. It's not if the trials come, it's when they come, and that we're to count it all joy. And so, Lord, we give thanks in all things, and I ask that you would minister. I I imagine that in this room right now, there are folks wondering where you are, Wondering why you haven't shown up. Why is this happening to me, God? And I, I, I love the idea of the way Job responds. He never asks the question why. He always says, what God do you want me to know? What do you want me to learn from this? Not why. Lord, your ways are not our ways. As the heavens are high above us, so are your ways above ours. We don't understand how you fashion a saint. Um, Converting a sinner takes but a moment, but the, the making of a saint is a lifetime. And Lord, you have amazing ways to do that. And oftentimes, we don't agree with how you proceed. But when we've gone through the fires, the refiner's fire, we always find how thankful we are in the way in which you prepared us for what's ahead. So Lord, I pray tonight that you'd bring comfort in the midst of the trial for those who are present that desperately need your touch. For those who may not be in the midst of a trial, they're either coming out of one or preparing to go into one, Lord, I ask that you would prepare them. And so, Holy Spirit, as only you can, we ask that you'd minister deeply. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the the most intense passages of Scripture uh, in the life of David. We're in 1 Samuel 20, and I want to... I know we're doing a, a study through the life of David, but I want to bring you up to this point so that you know what's taking place. And uh, I, just, I just sense as we're taking a look at this passage that there's going to be folks in here that are going to be deeply touched by it. Um, there are trials present, and uh, a lot of you put on a good face, but, but there's some heavy things happening in the course of your life. And... Uh, you know, as we, we look back at David's life with the anointing of David by Samuel, uh, we remember that his father thought he was the least of these, and, and you know, Jesse brought out all of his sons, and, and God said, no, 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 no. And then finally, he said, are there any more? To the point where Jesse didn't even want to consider David. He said, there's one more, but he's the least in my estimation. You don't want to waste your time. He says, call for him. We, we, won't, we won't sit until he arrives, and he runs in, and then the whisper into David's ear that you are now the king of Israel and the oil goes over his head and all this takes place. And, 
and, and we've seen uh, now David's anointing, and, um, and then he, he goes to battle, which we didn't study because Bishop Huggins did a great study on that. Uh, with David and Goliath. We see how he vanquishes the enemies. We've taken a look at different aspects of David's life. And, and now he's rising in, in uh, notoriety throughout all of Israel. Saul is slain as thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Um, and, and we also saw David was serving in the kingdom. And, uh, and, and here he is. He's, he's been told by Samuel, he's the next king of Israel. And while he's sitting there playing, uh, you know, the, the instrument for Saul in his palace while Saul's eating, Saul's furious, throws a javelin at him. David plays faster and does a little dance, and then the other javelin hits. But what's fascinating to me is what is said immediately after that javelin hits the wall. And, and this is hard to fathom. The javelin hits the wall and the scripture says, the Lord was with David. I don't know about you, but having javelins just come right near your head and you're wondering, you know, God, I thought you were with me. What is this? As you're just watching this thing go, and, and the king is furious and everyone is, you know, and you've got to run out of there for your life. And, and you're wondering, God, you, you, your word says that you're with me. And, and I remember Samuel anointing me. And, and as I'm rising and, and your favor's upon me, and the scripture says he behaved wisely, then it says he behaved very wisely, David did, and then it said he behaved more wisely than all Saul's servants. You're watching his, him seeking God and wisdom. He is, he's been out in the wilderness. He's already slain a bear. He's already slain a lion. He's taken down Goliath. You, you think that this, this guy is equipped to lead the nation. And, and right now, let's just, let's just give Saul a heart attack, put David up. This guy is equipped. He took down a nine foot, 10 inch giant. He is, he is won the hearts of the people. The women are singing the new Israeli hit song. You know, Saul is slain his thousands. David's is tens of thousands. It's on hit, Israeli hit radio, top 40. This it's time. Anoint him. Bring him forward. Samuel's anointed him. We all know that this is the guy. Lion, bear, Goliath. Oh my, we've he's gotten them all. And you think this is it. He's ready. I mean, he's ready, he's good looking, he's 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 in the prime of his youth. Saul is fading, the, the garment's been torn, he's already disobeyed God, why would we endure this any longer? Just re- give him a heart attack and put David up. We're longing for a king to save the nation. He's got all of the giftings. And then, you know, God's timing's not our timing. My ways are not your ways. And this is, this is the part that before you even get to chapter 20, Before you ever get to chapter 20, it is this endless cadre of misery. Saul's court, his life is threatened. Spears are hitting the wall. Saul's so furious with him that he he sends him out to battle, much like David did to Uriah the Hittite. He sends him out to battle to be killed. And, 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 And he puts him in the front lines of the Philistines and the most crack armies imaginable. And David just takes him down and, and his, his notoriety begins to rise. And he thinks, how, how do I beat this kid? And Saul's looking for the man who's going to take his place. The anointing's gone. He knows that David's it. He's put him out in the front lines. David's behaving wiser than all of Saul's servants. And even in the front lines, he's taken him down. God has surrounded him. <clears throat> I spoke a little too soon. I said, I don't need the water, but I guess I do. Mmm, that's delicious. And then... And then 
Saul thinks, I, I can't kill this guy. So he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll give him my daughter. This girl's a piece of work. Michael, or Michael. And, and he just, he, he knows that she is, she's just venom. He, he, he's, he's seen this, this daughter. She's just awful. And uh, he, he can't find any, he even said, somebody kill Goliath and I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, and no one's even moving. And David didn't move on behalf of the daughter. He's like, I'll do it anyways because God told me. But he looks over and she's probably all snaggle-toothed and everything like, hello, dear. You know, and, and she's probably got an attitude and she's just, you know, shops at the mall. Oh, my God. You know, and something like that. I don't know how to picture this, but she's awful. And, and he says, I'll give, and this is his comment. Saul says, I'll give my daughter to David as a snare, as a snare. I mean, she doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. She's, she's you know, just struggling in life. She, she doesn't know if she's in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. She's driven by worldly things. She's, she's just got a, a split personality of sorts. You'll see it in the course of her life. And, and, and Saul says, I'm going to give him my daughter. That'll do him in. What the Philistines can't accomplish, my daughter will finish. And, uh, and sure enough, David marries her. I guess this is what God wants. The king has ordered it. Uh, I'll take her hand in marriage. It's not like he said, you know, I was waiting for someone else or anything along those lines. And, and Saul says, now we're going to go kill him. He sends soldiers to go get David at, at his home with his wife. So he's got his family. He's got a little bit of a domicile relationship. They're building their home. They're newlyweds. And all of a sudden, soldiers show up. David knows he's in trouble. He lowers down through the window, and his wife puts a, an idol. And, and it, already David's life is being compromised in a sense because idols are in the room. He, she takes one of the idols that's big enough to look like a human being. Then she takes a big wad of goat hair. And I don't know what David's hair looked like, but it must have been funky uh and so there's water goat hair at the end of the bed and this idol and the soldiers come in and his wife says you know he's sick he's got some incurable disease uh he's got ebola and you don't want to go in there just just stay away i mean it's awful and uh they say all right and so they they leave and they go back to saul and they said he looks awful i mean his hair looks like goat hair it's just he's stiff as an idol he's just not healthy and and they're telling him all this and and saul says go and kill him so he goes back and, and all of a sudden, they, the idol is revealed, and, and his wife says, David put me up to this. It's, it's, it's spousal abuse. He said he'd beat me if I didn't do this. And now Saul's just livid, and David is running, and, and all, all hell is breaking loose. And David retreats and finally finds Samuel. So, so at this point, he's, he's lost his family. He's lost his position in the kingdom, He's lost the titles that they've given him. He's lost his position before the army. He's lost his wife and his brand new family and his home. And, and now he's running for his life and he goes to the only person he knows, which is his counselor, Samuel. And it's amazing how in the greatest crisis of our life, we go and we seek Christian counsel. We go and find a pastor. We go and we, and we, we find a Christian counselor or a Christian psychologist and, and one, of, one of the things that gets me is oftentimes people say, I'm in this mess because I couldn't reach you, Pastor Rob. I tried to call you. I have no doubt you did. And I probably failed. I'm good at that. And uh, I pick on every other child but that one. He can cry all he wants. No, I'm kidding. He keeps it up. He's out of here. <laughs>
But I, I have no doubt I've, I've probably failed more than I've succeeded. I, if God intended me to be everywhere all at one time, he'd make me him. And it's amazing how we would want to rely on somebody else. Now everybody's looking and they're all bummed at me like I kicked my grandson out. My wife is leaving. My daughter's leaving. I've lost everything. And it's just, I just feel like David is what I feel like. I just... <laughs> but it's, it's often times where, where you, you want an easy answer. You want a, a microwave answer. You want a three-minute solution to the devastation of your life. And you don't want to search the scriptures. You don't want to inquire of the Lord. You want someone else to do that for you. You want somebody to put the bottle in your mouth and you suck on it. And the Bible says that's the milk of the word. He says that you're supposed to long for the meat of the word. Meat comes where you just dig in. And, and nobody wants to dig in. We, why didn't it go my way? Pastor, answer, what is God's will for my life? Why didn't you answer the phone? Where were you? How come the counselors are so expensive? Well, why, why do I have to meet with that person? And, and every excuse imaginable because godly counsel isn't available to you. Even though the Bible says seek godly counsel and through the plans of many counselors, your plans will succeed through the wisdom of them. But there are times in life where you run for Samuel and David runs for Samuel and he gets to Samuel and he says, Samuel, what is going on? I, my life Ever since you put that oil on my head, old man, it has been a living hell. I've lost my family. I've lost my position. I've lost my, my position in the military, in the palace. I've lost all my possessions. I've lost my, my newlywed wife. I, I've got spears being thrown at me. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I have worked hard. I haven't betrayed him. I haven't disobeyed an order. I've been on the front lines of every battle. I've survived things that you can't even imagine. And all I get is demotion. All I get is demerits. All I get is threats. I've been fired. I don't understand. What did you do to me, old man? Why did you have to put that stupid oil on my head to begin with? Where is God in all of this? And in the midst of the conversation with Samuel, all of a sudden a company of soldiers come, crack soldiers from Saul to kill David and Samuel. And they get there. And David's like, bring it on. Death, any, death would be better than all of this. Take my life. And they get there and the spirit of the Lord falls and this company of soldiers falls on their face and starts prophesying. Samuel's like, you think God's in this? And Dave's like, stop, just have him kill me. And another company comes, good, another company. You guys kill me. They fall on their face and start prophesying. Samuel's all, do you get it yet? David's just frustrated. And a third company comes, his third time's a charm. Just, just hit me, just shoot me. And as they approach, this third company of soldiers falls down and begins to prophesy. Saul's leading the third category. Saul falls down and prophesies. David's just, what is this? And all of a sudden, David runs for his life, and he's departed from Samuel never to see him again. Now his Christian counselor's gone. He didn't have anything. Oh, but he's got one thing left. 
The scriptures that David would write of, of this, this last vestige of hope, a friend who's closer than a brother. I still got Jonathan. I still have Jonathan. And the passage brings us to this place that is so fascinating in scripture that all of us in one point or another in our life will come to. Let's pick up 1 Samuel 20, verse 11. Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he was with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan caused David to vow, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel or Ezel. And then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go and find the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, David, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. Jonathan recognizes that there's a call on David's life. He had already taken off his robe, he'd taken off his crown, he'd taken off his belt, he'd taken off everything and laid it at David's feet to say, I may be the one that everyone recognizes, the heir apparent, the one who's going to take Saul's position, but I recognize before God Almighty that you are the anointed one of God and I yield to you, though I'm the one who's supposed to ascend to the throne, I recognize that you are the one that I'm to give all this to. So, so David inquires of Jonathan. He finally gets to him and he says, Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. He says, my dad's not trying to kill you. If he was going to try to kill you, he would have told me. You have no idea what you're talking about, David. My dad's not that kind of a guy. He says, no, he is. He's tried to kill me twice. He sent three companies of soldiers. They all prophesied. He even came with the third company of soldiers. He, he used it, your sister to try to, to betray me. I mean, my whole life, Samuel's gone. Every, my family's gone. You don't understand the, the positions he put me in. Nobody should have survived as I was leading the attack against the Philistines. Your dad's out to kill me. He wants to destroy me. Jonathan just says, calm down, David. Calm down. Here's what we'll do. You go out and hide behind the stone Ezel. And you, 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 you hide behind that stone. And then I'm going to have a lad go out there. I'm going to th shoot three arrows. And if I say that the arrows are in front of you, go and gather them. Everything's good, David. I've checked out my father. I know that it's safe. You come on in. And if I shoot him past you, just know you've got to go on your way. He says, this is how we're going to do it. The new moon is in, which it means it's a festival. It's one of the Jewish festivals, and your seat's going to be empty. And I'm going to tell dad that you went to go see, you know, your family. 
You know, you got some sort of a call and you went to go see your fam- family and, and that's where you are. And, and, and he said, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel my dad out to see if, if, if he's out to kill you. And the first night he says, where is he? And he says, you know, he was unclean. He couldn't come to the table. The next night the seat's empty. And finally Saul just in a rage when he says he's with his father. Saul in a rage just looks at Jonathan. He says, you son of a wicked, evil, perverse woman. He's saying that to Jonathan. He's speaking of his wife. Saul's warped. He's got a whack daughter and he's, he's messing with awful words in regards to his wife and he's, he's insulting his son in the presence of everybody. And he just goes off on David and Jonathan runs out of the house and he just, he, he's, it, the scripture says of Jonathan, he's angry. As he leaves the house, he just realizes my dad has lost every marble and, and David's in trouble. And I love David like my own soul. And I'm not going to let anything happen to him, even if it means my own life. So as he goes out and he brings the, the young lad out there, the picture for us this evening is Ezel, or you know, I like the, the, I've heard it pronounced to me, I like Ezel. The word for Ezel means the rock of departure. But it has far more deeper meaning than a rock of departure. Um, they used to have a thing called Pioneer Rock, where when you had the pioneers coming west, they would look for this monument, this rock, and it would be this, this, this place that would, would tell them the pathway that they were supposed to follow. Once you got to Pioneer Rock, it showed you the path where you're supposed to go. So Ezel was the, the mark of departure, but it actually meant this idea that it was, it, it's a pathway where God wants to take you. It's the rock that shows the way. The literal meaning is the rock that shows the way. The rock that shows the way. Now, this is an interesting place for David to be at this point in his life. Because the minute that the arrow goes over his head at the rock that shows the way, God at this moment has removed every crutch in David's life. And I, I, just for a moment, let's ponder some of the crutches in our life. Your employment. If you lost it, would it devastate you? Would it challenge your faith? Health, if you heard the word cancer or incurable disease or debilitating disease? Is that it with your walk with the Lord? Family member going wayward? Bank account dwindling? Identity being removed? Family falling apart? I mean, just just go through the list. You're working hard, you're doing everything you're supposed to do and you're not getting promoted, you're getting bypassed. They're putting you in the toughest spots. You're working the hardest. You're having nothing but success. And all you do is get fired. And, and you look at this and you think, why God? God has two purposes when he brings you to this, this rock that shows the way. Every human falls. Every human falls. And God's in the business of removing the crutches that we rely on in the world. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. 
he will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say destroy. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. God wants us to be dependent on the vertical, not the horizontal. I, I look at the course of my life. I'm no David. But I, I look at where I am now and what we're facing, and I wonder, I mean, I literally, I, I slept really well last night. Six days to go in, in, in something that has encompassed $6 million and, and 100 and probably 70,000 people engaging in, in a contest that will descend on us on, the, on Tuesday the 4th. We, we had a president of the United States come to Oxnard in relation to this, this contest. We had a governor from Texas come in relation to this contest. We, we, this, this is the biggest political contest in the, in the state in regards to the, the, the legislature. And I'm thinking, how did I get here? What, what, is, what is the fuss? I don't even know Bill Clinton. And what is he doing in Oxnard? At 9 a.m. Nobody finds that humorous? What is the governor of Texas doing here, doing a fundraiser for an assembly seat in California? An assembly seat. That's not even a congressional seat. It's not even federal government. It's California. He comes to California to take businesses, not to come and help assemblymen. Why is he here? And, and I'm, why am I shaking his hand? What, what, God, how does this happen? And you back it up. And why am I sleeping so well? And why am I not phased by any of this? It, makes, it, it really makes no sense whatsoever. And I, I can tell you it's nothing that has to do with me. I know what I'm capable of. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to lash out. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to react. And it's just like, God, just no. And it just the peace comes over to the point where I'm looking at my wife. I go, we've, we've worked as though it depends on us. We've prayed as though it depends on God. This is his battle. I'm going to bed. I'm just, I'm going to rest. Got a lot ahead of us and he, he's given me sleep and I'm going to enjoy it. I don't lay awake pondering, worrying, wondering. Uh, have the returns come in? What do the ballots look like? Are we going to, is a, it, and you know why? Because it doesn't matter. I know November 4th, God's on the throne. And I can tell you as I stand before you, win or lose, I'm not devastated. I'm not. And I, all I got to tell you is, that didn't come any other way than going through a life bringing me to 50 years of age. And as I look back, I think, when I became a Christian, it all went downhill. And I thought, where are you? Why did you put this oil on my head? 
I remember in the, in the early 90s, I, I left Unilever to go work for A.C. Nielsen. The reason I worked for A.C. Nielsen is because I'd done all these interviews with a bunch of other companies because I knew that they were going to cut the company, and I knew I was the youngest guy in there, and I knew they were going to cut it. So I was, and I had interviews with all kinds of people, and I'm like, I'm not worried about it. I'm going to get that severance, and I'm going to take another job. And I was interviewing with four or five companies, and within a week, no, 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 no. I was in, I was in uh, Houston, Texas with Coca-Cola Foods meeting with the guy who heads it all up, and the 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 uh, headhunter was saying, this is a shoe in Nobody ever gets to this level and doesn't get the job. I'm like, woohoo, honey, we're going to get the job. And I didn't get it. I'm like, what are you doing? I asked you for a job. And then the one that was left to me was one I didn't even want. I'll, I'll take that. And I don't even want that job. I hated it. 14 months of hell. They gave me a laptop back when they were new. And I, I, what is this? I don't even know. Solitaire, love it. This is great. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom what they wanted me to do. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And, I, and they had me driving all the way to Newport Beach from Redlands on the 91 freeway before they had a carpool lane. It was two and a half hours one way. And in frustration, I'd listen to Christian radio the whole way. And, and be angry at God and listen all the way back and memorize sermons. And I'd never even preached a sermon. And I didn't even know what it, what it entailed. And, I, and, and then all of a sudden, I just, I can't do it anymore. I, I'll die if I have to keep doing this. And my wife could see it. I get a phone call from a, a minister in, San, or in, in Fresno saying, you can be our youth director and go to school. And we'll cover half your health care, and you get 800 bucks a month. Well, my wife is eight and a half months pregnant. Will they take existing conditions? Yes, I'm, I'm on my way. At this point, I, I, would have, I would have done anything. I didn't want to do this anymore. And little did I know when I got there, I started teaching the word. I didn't even know how to teach the word. I'm in a congregational church of Armenians. I'm not even Armenian. <laughs> I didn't even know what an expositional teaching was. I didn't even know what verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book meant. I came across a, a Chuck Smith book on, on the book of Romans, and I began to teach that to the youth group. And, and I, I watched as I started to grow. Wow, Romans is amazing. And, and then we'd cycle through ministers, and each minister was worse than the next, and I finally got another minister. I didn't even know this guy, and he was a professor of Old Testament theology at Azusa Pacific, teacher of the year. He was awful. <laughs> He was so mean. He told me I'll never be a minister. I'll never amount to anything. He told me to, to pack it up and leave. You're worthless. He pointed at me. He put his finger, cussed at me. He was spitting while I was talking. It was awful. And, and I'm going to seminary and I hated it because I just, I hate that. And some of you are going, well, what? we need to go to another church. Fine. <laughs> and it was killing me. I was dying. And my parents, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're ruining your life. And I had to contend with them. And I'm, I, my in-laws, they, they were like, well, he's finding his way and he's destroying our daughter in the process, but he's got cute kids, so we'll keep visiting. My parents wouldn't visit. At least Tom and Dee would show up. Mary Poppins, she'd come in, you know, clean the kitchen and put something on the stove, whatever food she could find, because we were second harvest food bank trying to stay afloat. I, I couldn't make ends meet, so I went to work at Walmart. I'm stocking toilet paper. I've worked Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving. That, that is the rock that shows the way. It was hell. It was. 
And, and I, 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 went, I went through the worst parts of the inner city. I saw everything that they were doing. I, 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 why am I here? I, do you know who I am? I am the son of Roy and Louise McCoy. I was born in Coronado. I don't work in the Lowell district. This is poverty and violence. What am I doing in Fresno? If California needed an enema, they'd put the tube in Fresno. I mean, this is not right. Why am I here? My mother is a daughter of the American Revolution. My father was a naval officer. I'm nobody. Why? Why? I became a Christian. Why am I here? Fresno. Are you hearing me, Fresno? And finally, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I ruptured discs in my back and I was, I was miserable. I hated it. I finally just left. I ended up in San Jose. I moved in with my in-laws. It's like, what? And I'm with my in-laws. I, I don't, I, and, I'm, and, and I, I got another retail job. I'm having to drive two hours over Highway 17. You ever seen it? It's like, in a Volvo that my sister had given me with 241,000 miles on it. Wondering, and the fifth gear didn't work. Wondering if I'm going to make it over every, every morning and every evening. Heater was the only thing that worked, no air conditioning, and the heater would just, it would, you turn it on, you just melt. It's like a Volkswagen here, just. And, and, and I worked in Staples in Seaside, California. And, and I'm, I'm watching this happen, and I'm wondering what, my, what, 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 what am I going to do with my life? While dot coms are going on, and everyone's making millions of dollars, I'm working retail. Got a college degree, I'm working retail. I can't even get into the dot-com deal. And I just, God, what are you doing? And finally, we started to attend a church, and I'm, I'm at this church, and I'm, I'm struggling. And, and then my in-laws are, are, are going to move. So now I don't have a place to live. You don't want to go. I mean, I know you could cash out and then retire for the rest of your life, but don't you want to stay here? Because that's such a neat view of the valley. It's the only thing that I can hold on to. It's the only house we have. My kids, I don't, please stay. And my in-laws, they, they moved. They sold it out from under me. What kind of people do that? And they were going to go, they had this, this grand plan. We'd move to Santa Rosa, and I'd get the sales manager job at, at, at the Staples and move up, and I'd be in the corporate realm and get a career and get out of that ministry. And, you know, my, my in-laws were just thrilled that he'd gotten that out of his system. And now, you know, it's not a great job, but at least, you know, we can be around the grandkids. And they are cute grandkids, and we love our daughter. We'll tolerate him. And so they were going to, you know, set it up in Santa Rosa. And I got, I got an appointment to, to be the new sales manager at the store in Petaluma, which is near Santa Rosa and my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law lived up there. My in-laws were going to move. It was all going to fit. It was like a perfect fit. It was just going to fit. And, and I was traveling back and forth to Petaluma while I'm doing that. I'm going through all the training and I passed all the tests and a promotion is waiting for me and, and the store and I get to hire all the people. I'm going through the hiring and learning all this process. And, and my in-laws are thrilled about it. We put the down payment on the apartment to get ready to move and we're attending church and I heard this story. My wife and I were looking at each other going, and, and actually my in-laws had already left. And, and I, I had to have a place while I was still working in Seaside and commuting to Petaluma. So I talked to the pastor and the pastor said, well, you can stay in this, this office. It's a windowless 
office, in the internal part. There's no exterior windows. It's, it's in, you can stay here. It's a converted office. We, we've turned it into kind of an apartment because living in the dot-com world, with, it was the most expensive place, second only to Tokyo in the world to live. Uh, well, it's ours. I remember walking through it. There'd been a, like a homeless family lived there. There was potato chips all over the floor. Cockroaches were scurrying for the, and I'm, I'm walking through and the guy's in front of me. I'm behind him. My wife's behind me. And he's, he's, he's just rude. He's like, yeah, and this is where you're going to stay. And he's like, what is he doing here? Why does he belong? He's on staff. He's just mean. And I'm following him and I'm in, in the hallways like a submarine. And we're just walking down and I'm having a hard, hard time breathing. <laughs> and it's got fluorescent lights and they're going, <laughs> I feel like I'm in Russia. And, I <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can't live here. Michelle's behind me. And I'm thinking, I can't even look at her. I, I'm the worst provider on the face of the earth. I can't do this. And, and I know she's not going to want to do it. And I guess we could live in, the, in a trailer in the Salton Sea. I could sell crystal meth. I mean, I don't know. Take that off the thing. And I'm, I'm worrying. <laughs> And as I'm, I'm walking down the hallway and we look and we take a look at the rooms and the, oh, it was awful. And then he leaves and I turn to Michelle and I said, well, I guess this isn't going to work. She goes, no, if it means that I get to stay with you and I don't have to be in Petaluma, then we'll make it work, dear. I'm like, really? Did you see the cockroaches? I mean, they were dragging a cat across the, <laughs> and she says, she says, yeah, it'll, it'll work. We'll, we'll make it work. We'll make, we'll make, we'll just, we'll make it work. And sure enough, she boils the whole place and scrubs it down. And, and, uh, and, and I won't go into detail. You've heard it all. But it was, it was awful. You turn off the lights, it was pitch black. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I remember one time I came out, my daughter Kelly, she's a little girl. She's looking out the, the front door to the hallway that goes to an exterior door. And she's saying, and she's looking at the door. I go, what are you doing, sweetie? She goes, Daddy, is it daylight yet? You know, it's like she didn't know. You could tell my kids, they were the short white ones going, sanctuary, this way. Mm. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I was thinking, why, why am I here? And, and we're living in this, and, and we've got the down payment. We're ready to move. All of a sudden, the arrow goes over my head. And, it, and it, it, was, it was the rock that would show us the way. It was the stone of departure. I came home one day, and I said, honey, is God speaking to you the same way he's speaking to me? She says, yeah, I think he is. I go, why don't, why, don't, why don't you tell me what he's, what he's telling you just to make sure that we're on the same page? She goes, I, I, I dread saying it. I said, well, what, what is it? I think we're supposed to stay here. Now, for her to say that, she's going to lose her family. She's going to lose an apartment that had windows and a steady income. And she's going to live with the cockroaches in the submarine. And she goes, every time we step foot in this church, we're growing. I said, if I turn down that job, I lose the one in, in Seaside. I, but I feel the same way. And it was a leap of faith. I said, I think we're supposed to stay too. And I kept driving and I, I was waiting to tell my boss and to shut that down. And I finally turned down the promotion. He says, well, we've already got somebody slated for Seaside. I don't think it's going to work. Just keep coming until we find and we'll figure out something. And, and, and I knew that I was going to lose that job. And I'm driving back and forth and I'm pondering it, listening to the radio. And finally, I get back to the house. Michelle says, Pastor Don just came by. And I started teaching the youth. And, and she said, Pastor Don just came by. He says he wants to meet with you tomorrow. I'm like, wow, Pastor Don came by here? Yeah. And, and he knocked on the door and Michelle just said, all he asked me was, 
what, what do you think your husband's called to do? And she says, he's called to be a minister. What do, you, do you believe that? And she says, I believe with all my heart. He says, well, tell your husband, come see me. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't have any idea. And he offers me a job. $1,500 a month. That, that was half of what I was getting from Staples. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? $1,500 a month? I got two kids. I, I can't. And Michelle and I just looked at him and said, well, we'll make it happen. And I remember when we, when we went and told my in-laws, I said, uh, we're not going to be moving to Santa Rosa. That was it. That they just, they, that, that was, they were done. They let us live in the house because Rob was done with the whole ministry thing. Now he's got that warp again. He's going back there. This is Jim Jones and he's got our daughter in a cult and we have got to remove her. And so they had an intervention with Michelle. They got her, her sister and mom and her dad and they met her in the house. They didn't want me there and, and they were gonna try to draw her away because this is an intervention and get Jim Jones out of there. And they sat down and they started and Michelle just looked and said, even if Rob died tomorrow, I'd still stay there because I know that's where God wants us. I'll tell you what, that was the rock that shows the way. The arrow went over her head. She said, you guys are going to go to Santa Rosa. You're going to go wherever, but God's got me right here. Every crutch was removed. And then we moved into that place. And, and the preparation and things that we went through, and it, was, it went on and on. I came here. I didn't know about this church and all the things we went through, meeting David and Cindy Lane, all the stuff. And now, all of a sudden, here I am, 50 years of age. The President of the United States comes to Oxnard, and the governor comes we're in an amazing election. How did we get here? Church is growing. People are growing. We're involved in the community. And, and all I can tell you is, God removes everything from your life. And I'll tell you why I slept last night. Because when he removed the horizontal from my life, it makes the vertical so much easier to grasp. God, all I have in heaven is you, and that's all I need. I don't want to depend on the horizontal, I want to depend on the vertical. And I can tell you how you know you are not dependent on the vertical. You're panicking about the horizontal. You're scared. Those words have frightened you whether you've been fired or diagnosed or you're in a relational issue, or the counselor's not coming, you've lost your pastor, you've, yeah, your best friend is gone, your family's in destruction, you're having spears thrown out, you. you've been fired, you've been demoted, you aren't appreciated, you whatever. Crutches are removed. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you believe it? Because if you don't, you will. He's got ways. You won't like them. But you'll get to a place in your life where you realize, how did I ever live without him? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have news for you. I have no ability to beat the machinery of the Democratic Party. I have no ability to beat the California Teachers Association and the SEIU, $300 million in 10 years on one party. I, I have no way of competing with the President of the United States in my flesh. I have no way of competing with any of this, and neither do you. And I could lay awake wondering what happened to all my crutches. And I can, I can worry about every mailer, every flyer, every commercial, every, every awful Facebook posting, everything. Just lay it out. And I can lay awake at night worrying about every detail. And, and, and do I have enough to get it to the end? And will I make it? And will, will, what about, and, and ooh. And nobody's going to get any rest. And I got to tell you, it is so sweet to have his peace and to be under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm not talking about apathy or laziness. No, no, no. You work hard. I'm talking about having peace in the midst of the trial. David, when he was in the front of the lines, fought the Philistines with a fervor, but the outcome was the Lord's. And David said, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. It's like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I don't know if God's going to get us out of this fire, but it doesn't matter. He gets glorified. And Daniel in the lion's den. I have no idea if he's going to deliver me, but the reality is if this is where he wants me, this is where I'm going. I'm not going to shrink. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to look back, and I'm going to push. And if you're afraid, remove the crutch. Keep your eyes on him. Keep moving. You're already dead. And the reason why you're afraid is because you think that you're holding on to something and you have some sort of control. You don't. Keep moving. Push it. Advance. You're a conqueror. Go. I love that. The rock of departure, better known as the rock that shows the way. The arrow just went over your head. All crutches removed. Don't whine. It's an infirmity that God is using to cause you to realize in your weakness his strength is made perfect. He doesn't want the horizontal. He wants the vertical. And the more that in your life, the stronger you are and the more unstoppable you become. Because there's no weapon fashioned against you will stand. I don't, know, I don't know where you are in the span of what we've described of David's life. But count it all joy. And give thanks in that process. Because you are becoming a man or a woman who is vertical, not horizontal. Keep your eyes on him, the author and finisher of your faith. And watch what God does. Amen?